Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And so growing up into a woman was very confusing. You know, since I was sexually abused, I, I didn't want to look like a woman. I didn't want to attract men. I didn't want to get attention. And I remember, you know, listening to things like, why don't you try this dress? And, uh, and with a little cleavage, no, like I didn't want that. I didn't want to get attention because attention meant being beaten or being sexually abused, right? So yeah. I had to deal with all of those feelings and, you know, and growing up and seeing that I'm turning into a woman was awkward. I had a lot of insecurities around my body. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives and what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you you What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, beautiful souls. This week, we're hearing a story from Erica. Erica received a text message recently from her brother with some family pictures, and one of them made her heart stop. It looked like any happy family picture anyone might have in a box of treasures, There was her stepdad smiling away with a baby on his knee. Such a happy picture, such a wonderful family. 
but the picture triggered Erica. She found herself standing there and staring at the picture, waiting until the feelings of trauma began to subside because this happy family picture was an illusion. Just like so many families, there were secrets and Erica had spent years and years working through and healing the trauma from those childhood years after the abuse she suffered by her stepfather in her own home where nobody came to help her, nobody said stop, nobody said enough, nobody took her hand and told her she was beautiful and worthy and lovable. Everything was hard. Erica's story is difficult and yet it is just one of so many, many stories that are all the same. Maybe this is your story too. And by sharing and hearing the stories of beautiful souls like Erica, we are bringing awareness and we are changing the world. Please do share your favorite episode of the podcast with a friend so that we can get this message out to more and more people. Or please post about it on your Facebook or Instagram. You can copy any one of my posts and share them from at my big love project. And it would mean so much to me and everything that I'm trying to achieve with this podcast. I really appreciate your help. Please join me now in hearing Erica's story. Erica, I came across a blog in Tiny Buddha and it was your story and the title was The Abuse Behind My Happy Family Pictures and Why We Should Talk About It. And it straight away got my attention because so much happens to kids behind closed doors and families are all out and about putting on that perfect family facade and it's just not real for so many kids growing up. And it's really the reason that I started this podcast so that we can hear those stories because often we can spend our entire lives never sharing that stuff. You were born in Angola in Africa during a civil war and your mum got you out of Africa and over to Portugal. And by eight years of age, your dad wasn't around at all by then. Can you talk a little bit about that time in your life? Yeah, I, it was difficult. And now I look back and I, and I think about how is it possible that a child, you know, so young has had to go through all that. And, you know, I was living in Angola in an apartment and, and listening to, you know, shots and stuff like that. And, and it's crazy how normalized that was. My little brother used to clap and stuff like that, not even realizing what was go going on, you know. And so I was born into a family that was never a family, actually. My father was a married man and they've met in, uh, they've met in Hungary and then my mom went to Angola. It was just absolute chaos everywhere. Uh, I remember this time very, it's like a very blurry image. Uh, this time for me, it's very confusing. And it was like one day I am in Angola and then the other day I leave all my toys and everything that I have and all of a sudden I have nothing and I am living with my mom and uh, this uh, man that says that he's my father. It was very, to be honest, it was very confusing. Um, and sometimes I have been through so much that I didn't even consider this part of my life to be trauma, you know, to be right. traumatizing. Yeah. But now that I, I express myself and I talk about it, I am like, oh, my God, you were living in a country where there was war. Your father was nowhere to be found. Uh, there is this person, this stranger coming into your life, telling you that he's your father, you know, and I was so little and I was made to believe that uh, this man was my father for many, many years. So it was very confusing uh, as a child, confusing, blurred image and very, I would say that I would, I was living in anxiety, you know, normalized anxiety, because everything was stressful, you know, leaving country, arriving to Portugal, uh, who is this guy, and then there's my little brother I have to take care of, and then there's new country, new people, 
people asking me, do you like living here or do you prefer living in Angola? I'm too young to know that. <laughs> I don't have a preference about that, <laughs> you know? And yeah, so that was, um, uh, it was a very rich experience because due to that, I am now a person who is very tolerant with, you know, different cultures, different countries, different ways of living because I have lived many lives, right? We're talking about, I was seven years old, like seven to eight years old when all of this happened, you know? You're in war, and then you're an immigrant, and then you have a lot of money, then you don't have a lot of money, <laughs> you know? Then you don't have a lot of money again. And then by, raised by this man, and then I am told that this guy is my father, and then I come to discover that he's not my father. It was just so confusing and chaos everywhere, Don. Like everywhere yeah. was chaos in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And so, what was it like being a little African girl growing up in Portugal? That would have been confusing in itself because you wouldn't have spoken the language, right? Uh, I did speak the language because in Angola we speak Portuguese as well. Angola ah. is an old colony, so don't I don't want to get into the politics of it. But basic, basically, Angola was a colony, and then they were independent, and then there was a civil war. So it was a country that was pretty much in war, uh, but we did speak Portuguese. But the thing is, yes, I did speak Portuguese, but I had a different accent. And, you know, and one thing which is very kind of shocking and traumatizing for me as a child is that I did not know that I was Black. <laughs> You know what I mean? Um, I was a person, yes. right? I was a person. I had my friends, you know. Uh, my mom, she's very light-skinned, so she could pass as white easily. Uh, I was raised in different cultures, different people, different colors. So when I go to Portugal, I discover that I am a, a black girl because mm -hmm. people point that out to me because... I didn't have this perception that oh, you are white, I am black, you know, for me it's just you are other person. But then there are things like I have a different hair, my hair doesn't move like the other girls, uh, I am darker, people treat me different because of that. And being a small girl and starting to realize it's such a disappointment for a small girl to realize that Oh, okay, so my skin is determining the way you look at me. And really having this thought of, oh my God, I'm black. Like, what is this? <laughs> what does that mean to me? Uh, and that means that people would be, my name is Erica. Like, it's an international name. But even this was a reason for people to make fun of me. You know, my name was different. People would make fun of my name. Um, so I started using my second name, which is Daniela. Now I love my name. It's just, but, but by then I was like, oh, just call me Daniela. So I started to learn to not get in the way of people and like silence myself to avoid conflict. Because from very young, anything I would do would be, well, you know, <laughs> would amaze people because uh, it wasn't that normal. And in Portugal... There were black people around, but not so many black people, right? We have to be honest. So um, I was different. People knew I was different. And that wasn't a good thing at all. Yeah. That was just something that would make me stand out, but not in a good way. And yeah, so it was, uh, I was, I started to gain uh, insecurities and, you know, and feeling like I did not belong because, well, I did not belong. That wasn't my house, you know, that wasn't my yeah. home. I was taken from my home and just all of a sudden put over there. And, you know, nobody warned me that because of my skin color, I would be treated uh, different. So that was something I had to discover. And I remember going to school and I was a very smart kid, really very, very smart kid. And they used to assume that just because you come from Africa, you're dumb, you know, it was, it was just this thing. So when I, when I went to school, they did me this test 
this exam just to see, you know, if I, where would they put me because they were ready. By then, I think I, I was supposed to go to third grade, but they were already ready to put me in, I don't know, year one <laughs> or something like that. Um, and amazingly enough, I was smart. And it was like, oh, wow, she's intelligent, even though she's Black, even though she's African. So it was a very, it was a journey of discovery and starting to kind of tone down everything I had inside. It was just everywhere I was being pushed to be different and just to, to blend in and people leave me alone, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's confusing. So confusing. And when you say you found out that you were black and it's it's sad when all of a sudden, you know, you're told, oh, you're different. And it yeah. must be a very, very difficult moment. In the blog post, you talk about an old photograph popping up on your phone one day from your brother. And it was a picture of you at seven years of age and in the background was a man. Can you tell us about that man? Yes. Oh, my God. Um, so I've been through this healing journey, you know. Five, I was talking to my boyfriend yesterday and I was like, five years ago, I would have to sleep with my, you know, with the light on because I couldn't, you know. The PTSD was so intense that I couldn't sleep. Um, and um, that was because of that man in the picture. So um, my brother just sent me some family pictures and there was a photograph of me and there was a photograph of, um, of, my, of my stepfather. So in the photograph, you see him and it's just like, if I don't know him, he looks like an amazing person. He's smiling. You would look at the picture, you would say, what a loving family man holding a baby in his arms. And yeah, after the, I tell about this, I speak about this in the blog post, which is like, I stare at the picture until I don't feel anything because lucky enough, I'm not as triggered anymore. I was just not, you know, I was not expecting to just see this picture. So I stare at the picture and I'm like, okay, all right, and trying to look at it, you know, with my mind and not with all my triggers and everything. So this man in the picture is the person who uh, abused me when I was a child. So he used to abuse me physically, beat me. He was a very angry person. He was dealing with alcohol problems. Uh, he was, pre I'm pretty sure that he was depressed, deeply depressed. Uh, he had a lot of issues. So yeah, when I was like nine years old, my childhood for me is a little bit of a blur. For obvious reasons, I blocked a lot of information because it was just too much. Uh, and, and it was repetitive, right? So there was inappropriate uh, touching from his part, from his end. Uh, the first time it happened, I tried to ask for help, you know, and uh, I didn't get the help I needed. So I was pretty much just sleeping in, in bed, you know, sharing room with my brothers. And this guy would come up, you know, and, uh, and repeat the inappropriate um, touching, right? So um, obviously that was a very difficult situation. I would live in fear day and night because during the day I could be beaten and during the evening he would just come up to, you know, to our bedroom. Uh, so that was the situation I was living in. And the reason I, why I wrote the blog post was to, you know, to share and to talk more about this because the more I speak to people, the more I realize that my story is just one more <laughs> in millions of stories. Uh, and yeah, and this man, he would walk around, people would say hi to him, he would smile, um, and you know, and he would, from the outside, he looks like a normal person, but in reality, you know, this guy was an abuser, a criminal, right, a pedophile, basically, 
so yeah, so the story behind the, the family pictures, the abuse behind the family pictures is exactly this story that you never know what's behind the smiley picture. You never know where is the abuser because it's usually we have this idea or we used to have this idea that the abuser is just this monster, this person that, you know, but it is a monster, it is this person, but most of the time is the stepfather, the stepmom, the nanny, the coach, the trainer. So yeah, so I was living with this man for my entire childhood and my adolescence years. I was free, <laughs> not exactly free, but I was physically free from this guy when I was around 17 to 18 years old. So it was a big chunk of my life being abused, being told I'm not enough, uh, you know, being told I'm, I am a liar because he used to, to use this excuse. He, he used to discredit me. You know, I would buy something in school and he would call me a liar and tell me that I spent the money, you know, so my mom would believe that I am the liar, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, just well, the typical story of abuse. Yeah, so just constantly trying to discredit you and undermine you. I'll just read a sentence from the blog because it said, the first time he beat me, it was so bad that I lost consciousness for a bit. But the thing I remember the most was the shock I felt. I was absolutely in shock when his big hand hit my mm. face and dragged me to a different room to repeatedly beat my skinny body more comfortably. That just breaks my heart into tiny pieces because as kids, we really are so tiny and trusting of the adults mm. in our lives. One minute you're this tiny trusting child and the next minute life has completely changed, right? What what did yeah. this change in you? Do you remember? I do remember. I remember that my heart was broken. It was ah, this this time of my life heartbreak after heartbreak. So this happened right after my grandma, uh, my mom's mom came to visit and she told me, listen child, this man is not your father. <laughs> I believe that this guy was my father wow. for some years of my life. So I just discovered that. I didn't know, you know, I was starting to you know, write my name in school and I was wondering like, what is happening? My brothers, they have a different name than I do. And so my grandma came um, and there was like an altercation. They were fighting, my grandma and my stepfather, they were fighting a lot. And she one day told me, thank God she told me that, like seriously. She told me, this guy is not your father. And she told me my father's name because my father at that time was nowhere to be found. And yeah, so I remember we were at the kitchen and, and I said something like, I said to my mom, like, aren't you going to eat? And that was the reason I was, he, he beat me. And because, you know, I was trying to take care of my mom because she was visibly upset, you know, because, I don't know, her mom came and then she went and she, you know, and probably told her that she shouldn't be with that man because obviously he wasn't good for nobody. And so for me, it was the shock. Can you imagine? I thought this person was my father. Then my grandmother comes and she says, no, no, he's not your father. Your father is, she told me my father's name. Uh, and then I'm just trying to do good, which is just, you know, telling my mom, like, eat something, you know. And because of that, uh, I am being beaten until I lost conscious, like seriously. And the shock was like, first of all, what have I done? What have I done? And then it was like, don't you love me? Like this person for me, he was my father. I really didn't care if I had another father for me. He was really my father. And that it was a shock. Like, what is this? What is happening here? And also, you know, it was shock after shock. And then because I am helping my mom, then I'm being beaten by this person who says he's my father. And then this is happening to me and nobody came to help me. 
Like I, I yelled from the top of my lungs and nope, nobody's coming to help me. And it was just, you know, uh, a heart, a heartbreak because there's no other way to, to explain it. My power was taken away completely. Everything that I knew about life was in a couple of days, it was completely different, right? I'm with this person, he's my father, we're here having, trying to have a new life in Portugal, everything is fun, my mom, she's, you know, starting this new business, and, but all of a sudden, like, this, all of this is happening to me, um, and besides confusing, it's just, it was a disappointment, it was heartbreak and disappointment, because I didn't expect that, well, from anyone, because I'm a child, what do I know? But from him, not at all, not at all. And, um, and yeah, so that's the, that's the story. That's uh, the shock that comes, you, you know, like this. It's not even about the other hits. It's the, it's the first hit. Like, where did it came from? How is this happening to me? And being so little that I, I don't have a brain to process what's happening to me. Yeah. There is no, my brain is forming. Like nowadays I look back and I'm like, oh my God, my brain was still forming. I did not have the machine to process whatever was happening to me. And then there is the abuse on this end. And then there is people with, witnessing the abuse and, and doing nothing. So heartbreak yeah. and disappointment. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to ask you about that actually, because it is the silence and the secrets that really is the hardest part about that. Were you able to talk to your mum or to anybody about what was happening at all? Um, I mean, at the time when this happens, I was told to don't tell anyone, you know? I was told to make excuses. I was, I, I was told, you know, at this event that I talk about in the blog post, you know, I had an eye stroke. It was very ugly. And they were like, they sat me down and they were like, listen, you have to tell everybody that you hit your eye against the table and that's how you did this. What am I going to do, right? So that's what I've done. So I lied to people. You know, <laughs> on top of it, they make me look stupid because who, who does that, you know? Who, 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 who hits the eye against the table and, you know, and... Uh, so yeah, so at the moment, I wasn't able to talk to anyone about it. I did talk about the abuse, like the sexual abuse part that came after, but I was totally dismissed and it was like it never happened again. And it wasn't until some years later when I was, I think, 19 years old that I, you know, sat down with my mom because I was in the, <laughs> I was living on edge, right? I was living on edge and I was rebelling. Like, I, I, I hated my mom. You know what I mean? I was rebelling. And I didn't even know where all of that was coming from. Because when you live a life for too long, you just think that that is normal. And the problem is you are the problem, you know? And I was rebelling. I didn't even know what the hell was going on. It was just too much. And I remember talking to my mom. And for her, it's just like, oh, it's in the past. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and the, I mean, we cannot, I know now that we cannot ask from people something that they cannot do, right? Now I'm like, you know what? She just normalized the views and she didn't know better. And for her, it's simple as let's sweep this under the rug. Uh, but for me, it was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk about this to everyone I know. <laughs> yeah. I now have conversations and I, I just made a new friend and we sat down. I'm like you. I like to reach out to people. And if I see somebody that resonates with me, I'm like, hello, how come we're not friends? Yeah. So I've made a new friend uh, and we've met and we were like talking about trauma for the first hour, you know? And then we would just relax and everything is fine. That's the kind of conversations I'm having right now. 
But at the time, there was no room for these conversations. There was no room at all. That was my life. And I had to, to accept that that was my life. There was no room. And, uh, and it's very sad because I believe that we would be less traumatized if there wasn't this silence after. Because imagine that, okay, I'm being beaten. And then my mom stands up for me and she leaves the guy. I would be like, my mom, she's the strongest. It would be a complete difference because these things, they are going to happen. I don't believe I can end abuse. I believe I can prevent abuse by conversations like we're having here. But abuse is not going to be over. But the thing is that trauma is what comes after something happened to you. Trauma comes when you don't get to process, when you are shut down, when you are isolated from the world. That's when trauma comes in. And, and yeah, the silence, my family, they gave the abuser, this person, permission to do anything. Because if nobody tells you this is wrong, nobody tells you anything, if you witness this and you just move on with your life like nothing happened, then nothing happened, right? And the person feels the right to do this. And then the abuser, you are made to feel like it's, it's your fault, like you are the one who's wrong because in your world, everything is violence and you are the only one who's trying to you know, be at peace. So you, you should be the one who's wrong, right? They make you wrong. And then, of course, as a child, like where are you going to go? Where you, you don't know that you can talk to a teacher. Uh, luckily, nowadays, we have more information, and this is something that makes me very happy. But I didn't know I could talk to a teacher about this, you know. They taught me very well to hide my feelings and to keep my feelings away and never, and never tell anyone a thing. And that was something that I had, I was struggling a lot even in my adult years, you know, because I was really taught to just shut up and, and don't say anything. Yeah. Absolutely. And so by the time you are a teenager and you're keeping all these secrets, how are you coping? You mentioned that you were going off the rails a little bit. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you have that sort of time where you just weren't coping with everything? I think that I don't know how I'm built, but it's a miracle that I am here and that I went through everything because I was not a bad teenager at all. When I say I'm reveling, I was reveling, I was going out in, in booze, you know, and I'm drinking. I was, but I was reveling, I was more a reveling inside. I was like trying to discover myself. And I was, my mom would tell me something and I was, I would be like, no, <laughs> no, that's not how I want my life to go. I mean, during my adolescence years, the thing that I struggled the most was to figure out who I was. Like, I had no identity. I had no idea who I was. I was starting to, you know, to grow up and see that a lot of people have had experiences that I didn't have. A lot of people knew of things that I didn't have. And some of them would make fun of me, you know, in a jokingly way. And they would say, ah, you didn't have a childhood. That wasn't a joke. That was true for me. I did not have a childhood. And I didn't have a childhood and I didn't have a lot of representation. You know, I didn't have a lot of black women to look up to because of the situation where I grew up. We didn't have connection to our family at all. A lot of uncles and cousins and um, aunties, I really don't know them. We lived so isolated that it's crazy i was very isolated i i was isolated from my culture oh and besides at home uh, i couldn't listen to angolan music for example <laughs> uh, stuff like that very stupid things like that you know things like my hair needed to be straightened or when i was uh, when i was very young like nine ten years old they cut my hair because they didn't want to comb it so i looked like a boy for <laughs> A lot of years of my life and so growing up into a woman was very confusing you know since i was sexually abused i i didn't want to look like a woman i didn't want to attract men i didn't want to get attention 
Um, and I remember, you know, listening to things like, why don't you try this dress? And, uh, and with a little cleavage, no, like I didn't want that. I didn't want to get attention because attention meant being beaten or being sexually abused, right? So yeah. I had to deal with all of those feelings and, you know, and growing up and seeing that I'm turning into a woman was awkward. You know, I had a lot of insecurities around my body, around, I was a very nervous child, obviously. Uh, I would get jumpy everywhere. And that just continued throughout the time until I sorted that out, you know, almost in my, in my thirties. So it was, it was a struggle just to, just to accept myself as a woman and to be able to see you know, to see myself like, oh, as sexy or, you know, because all of that had a very negative connotation. And, and it was just me trying to navigate into this world and trying to become a woman. But then I was like, what type of woman am I going to be if black women are not attractive? You know, well, that was what I used to think because that's what I saw everywhere, you know, and the example I had, you know, was, was my mom. <laughs> Physically, like she has my traits, I have her traits, but she's light skin, you know, flowy hair. And, um, and I have this hair that you have to cut off. <laughs> you have to cut it because there's, it's not possible. You cannot comb it. And, you know, growing up, listening to things like don't go into the sun, you'll get too black, you know, and you are smart for a black woman. And, and also, as I told you, until I was 17 years old, I was still living in an abusive situation. So I would go to school hiding everything that was going on. You know, people knew that was something weird about me. So I had a, a couple of friends, some very toxic friends, to be honest, very toxic friends. I had this friend, she, she used to cut herself and talk about killing her, her brother. So yeah, it was very, uh, it was very, very tough and uh, to deal with all of these insecurities. And I think that the fact that I had to deal with so many different traumas is just created so many layers to what I was going through, you know, there's the race layer, there's the immigrant layer, there's the being sexually abused, there's the domestic violence layer. And walking around, I don't know, 13, 14 years old with all of that. And on top of that, with so many responsibilities, you know, taking care of my brothers, going to parents' meetings, and it was just too much. I was not leaving for myself. And I think that's why I have such a blur in my head. I was just existing and living in constant anxiety, like constant. I really don't know how I survived. Well, I actually do know because I used to journal a lot and I used to, to wash my feelings away writing. Uh, so I think that helped me create, you know, a world to go so I could ex escape for a little bit. But yeah, that's the that's the story <laughs> yeah wow that's so much to deal with on so many different levels and the basis of all of that is just that you didn't have a voice in anything no. there was no voice whatsoever and that's heartbreaking isn't it i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
when you when you say that the abuse continued until you were 18 what happened when you turned 18 hmm. so what happened was that I remember briefly a conversation I had with a neighbor that used to you know hear me cry and shout and my mom was there and she was like telling me that my mom she didn't have the courage to do what needs to be done and that next time something happened that I should do something <laughs> um, and so I was I was in this situation where um, my stepfather was telling me to clean myself because I smelled like a pig uh, and I know that that was an excuse for him to watch me don't want to be very graphic here but so um, so yeah so I refused I refused to do it I was like no I'm not going to do it uh, and we went into a verbal fight and he started like to, to try beat me and go after me so I find a way of getting out you know and <laughs> fighting him and trying to get out so, so I was running and yelling from the top of my lungs and yelling and asking for help like crazy. Uh, so uh, we lived on a first, on a ground floor, something like that. Um, and there was like this high window. So I jumped from the window and I went outside and screamed like crazy, like help me, he's going to kill me. I can't take this anymore. So I, yeah, I don't know where I got the strength, but I was just outside. And, and yeah, so eventually neighbors come and I, um, and I start, I don't know where I got this strength. It's crazy I, talking about it. But I was like, I want my father. This guy is not even my father. Like, you know, I just started to take everything that I had inside, just screaming everything from the top of my lungs um, and then the police came and then I went upstairs with some neighbors it was liberating for me but at the same time I just felt so ashamed uh, thinking of everyone looking at me knowing what was happening because for a decade now that I think about it but for a decade I was forbidden to speak up about this so talking about this, people looking at me with, you know, the PTI, you know, and, I, and for years, I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to feel like that anymore, where people pity me, you know. And then my mom came. She used to promise every time that we would move and eventually we would move and he would come. <laughs> he would come along. So this time she came again. Uh, all of this happened. Uh, she went to the police. Um, I don't think she felt uh, um, she didn't denounce the situation. I don't know what really happened there, but she promised that we would move. And that this time it was for real. Uh, I made her an ultimatum. I was like, you choose him or me because I was uh, 17 at the time. So I was about to become, you know, of age like 18 years old and I would do whatever you know and and I was actually planning to run away with a friend so <laughs> so yeah I was like it's either him or me so yeah so that's what happened uh I still uh, lived with uh, this guy for a couple of months until my mom got a new apartment and she never she never <laughs> told him that she would leave so it was a secret he went out and when he went out, I think he had to work or, or pretend that he was working because this was something that he used to do. He would pretend that he, got, that he had work, but he actually never worked. So, yeah, what happened was that my mom got a new apartment and we ran away. We didn't leave. We ran away. That's what happened. So we came into the new apartment and we started a new life like nothing happened. You know, the typical stuff. Um, and then after a year or so, um, he got cancer. And funny enough, the only person who was there to help was me. Really? Um, <laughs> Life is really ironic. And yeah, so I used to take him food in the end until, until he died. Wow. That's crazy, isn't it? 
That's amazing. Yeah. Why do you think you did that? Um, first of all, my mom didn't have the guts to do it. So I used to do a lot of things that, you know, to support my mom. So that's why I did it. But also, like, I'm a good person. <laughs> I'm a very good person. And, and I've been a good person since I was little. So I was like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to help you. You know, you cannot harm me anymore. So I did help me. But I, now that I think about it, Lauren, this is interesting. Now that I think about it, I think I was expecting an apology also. I think I was giving him the chance to apologize. My heart like deep down when you, end, when you ask the question, I was like, oh, it, yeah. But it's also that part of me was like, just apologize. Because I loved him like a father, you know? And part of me was like, just apologize for everything you've done. He didn't. I'm not sure if he tried to do it because at the end, he was just... Who was in very bad shape and yeah and then he died and uh, you know all of a sudden i'm 18 years old i am free <laughs> physically because then you know when i was 18 i thought that i could start over you know but i didn't know that um, the work needed to to be deeper that i could not just keep going that it's not healthy to keep going. You have to really stop and assimilate everything that happened to you. And I, I had a lot to assimilate, you know, 18 years old. And I, I didn't have like months of my life that I could say that, that I was at peace, you know. I was born, my mom was alone, you know. And then she met this guy, there's this war, and then we go... We go to Portugal and, you know, my mom, she loses everything. And then there is the abuse and, and everything continues. And all of a sudden, oh, you're free. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah. And were you aware of that fairly quickly or did it take no, time? Decades. Yeah. It took me decades to actually, because I wouldn't stop. You know, I learned that from my mom. I wouldn't stop. I would just keep going to the next thing. And, uh, and the next thing, and <laughs> when I when I share this story and, and talk about my, my story, I, I I always say that I I moved countries, I changed boyfriend, location, and you know, and uh, until I came to realize that oh my god, no, this needs to happen here inside, you know. I was still thinking that the change needed to come from the outside. If I get the guy, if I get the job, if I get the money, if I get everything, then everything is going to be okay. Until like here in Tenerife, I was like, you know what? Mm -mm. It's you, girl. <laughs> it's you. You need to do some work. So, so I got to work, but it took me decades to understand that. Yeah. What did you do? Because I know you went to India and you've done various things on that journey. What were the main sort of things that really helped you? Well, I mean, everything started with yoga. I was lucky enough. And it was so funny the way that yoga came into my life. I was working at this hotel and uh, my boss was like, OK, you have to teach stretching now. And I was so bored by the stretch classes. <laughs> I was so bored. And I found this yoga book. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. You do these postures. And, you know, and it started like that. And then all of a sudden, I was unemployed. You know, I was very happy at this job, making no money. But for the first time, I was just having fun, enjoying myself. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I was fired because a company was coming in and we had to leave the job. So I took the decision to, to move cities because I was living in a very touristy area. Uh, and I you know, made the decision, let me move cities. And I had all this time in my hands. So I was like, let me explore yoga. You know, just for fun. I wasn't even thinking about, you know, I'm going to illuminate myself. No. <laughs> so, yeah, so everything started with yoga. With yoga, I was able to stop, first of all. Stop, but not actually stop because I didn't have the strength to sit down and meditate, right? But yoga helped me calm down, stop, uh, find different movements within myself, you know, and actually calm down. And I was starting to discover a new person in me. And I started to understand that I, I don't need to be whatever people tell me to be. 
I can be different because I was starting to see that I was changing, that my responses were changing, that I wasn't feeling as anxious. And that gave me the strength to start looking deeper at everything that had happened to me. So after yoga, you know, I had no money. So I was doing yoga at home. I discovered this yoga with Adrian channel. It's amazing, an amazing channel, by the way. Uh, and yeah, so I was doing yoga every day. And then I did this meditation challenge for 21 days. And I was like, wait a minute. Uh, there is something here. And so throughout this discovery, uh, you know, one of those days, you know, you go for a walk and everything starts to blink, blink, blink. And I'm like, okay, so uh, I need to change. I need to address uh, what happened to me. I need to journal about it. I need to start talking about it. I need to discover who I am. You know, so I made a complete, I'm a very smart girl, <laughs> as I told you. So I started this plan when I was going to try different things. I was going to get to know me and what I like and my values. I started to think about my values. What do I want? You know, I discovered that I value truth. I value integrity honesty you know when i started this self-discovery i used uh, different tools you know i started to do this miracle morning thing when i you know i woke up at 6 a.m 5, 5 a.m 5 a.m 5 a.m journal uh you know write all of these things and uh, you know it's funny because i wasn't employed rarely had money to eat but i was at peace finally you know uh, so I got into a personal growth, uh, and one day I was walking, and I was like, you know what? I have to tell people about this because I was so deep that I couldn't see myself out of the hole. And when I started, I was like, okay, so in seven days, you usually are happy like two days. So let's change that around. That was my goal. I just wanted to be happy, you know, five days and two days sad. I was happy with being sad for two days, you know, a week. Uh, so, yeah, so it's, oh, my God. Yeah, so that was, uh, that's how I started. And um, I, I got to read. Um, I love this book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It taught me a lot about, you know, living in the present moment. And, uh, you know, after you deal with the past, just bring yourself to the present moment. And yeah, so then I got my coaching certification. Well, first I went to India because I wanted to study yoga. Uh, I went to India, went to an ashram, and it was a beautiful experience. And in India, I did a lot of, uh, you know, just letting go and just forgive, forgive, because what's the point, you know? And yeah, and then I came back and I was like, okay, uh, let me let me take a coaching certification so I can help people uh, and have some sort of certification not be like oh well, hello i'm erica i healed so <laughs> let me help you heal no i wanted to have something i wanted to have a tool to help people you know to be responsible and so that's 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 how everything happened i'm summing it up because it's way deeper than that uh but it's 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 that it's the the journey of self-discovery uh learning how to love myself and allowing myself to shine in different areas that, you know, I thought uh, that I was not a sports person. I used to think that I had like this big forehead. You know, I was told every time, I do have a big forehead, now I don't care. But, you know, I was told every time to hide it, you know, like stupid stuff like that and, and kind of peeling it away and, and also telling myself, is this true? Do I believe this? Does this align with my values? I had to think about, like, when I'm talking to myself, is it me talking or is it my mom talking? Or is it the other teacher that told me that? Because sometimes we have thoughts that they're not even ours. So I have to do a very intense work on rebuilding myself because it was... <laughs> total makeover here yeah yeah what tools can we use to support our healing journey i believe that first of all we should have something in our lives 
that help us feel grounded. I do believe that, okay, I'm a yoga person, so I'm going to say yoga, but there is meditation. There's, uh, you can do breath work. Um, some people love singing, so just sing away mantras first of all have something that helps you keep grounded because this will help you throughout your life for sure i'm still using it i use it every day but especially if you are on a healing journey you will need something to support you i'm always saying professional help because it makes a difference and for example everything related to my sexual trauma it was a self-healing process i've done it it would probably take me three months if I'm working with somebody specialized. You know what I mean? Like, you can do it. Yes, you can do it. And right now, for example, right now, I'm working with a coach. You know, we're working on abundance stuff. And, uh, and I'm working with a coach. And it's, like, amazing to see the difference and the progress that you can make when you are working with somebody. And this person is going to be also, you know, your accountability, and it's completely different. And the support that you get from professional help that they are there for you, it's different that going through the journey by yourself, especially when you don't have anyone around you, you know, you will, when you don't have, like, you cannot turn to family for help, right? So, yeah, and just to give you another example, because I always like to make this distinction that sometimes you need coaching and sometimes you need therapy. And you, you kind of have to fit it within yourself and you kind of have to think like, where am I in this situation? Is this a case of like deep depression where I can get out of bed? So maybe that's a therapist that is going to help you. Maybe. It depends. Like... As I said, my sexual abuse, it was through self-healing. Um, unfortunately, I, I lost my father for COVID last year. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a therapist. And I got a therapist. And it was two months. And she helped me a lot. And she was like, Erica, you're good to go. You already have the tools. You know? So think about getting professional help. And so the other things you can do is just ground yourself. I, I love journaling journaling itself just writing your feelings is healing enough uh, for you to just journal and uh, you can I don't know send me a message and ask me for some prompt questions I will just offer you the prompt questions for you and just to journal away your feelings it helps so much especially if you have never told your story just to write down write down your story, write down your feelings, and then read through it. See how you feel. So many times we are walking around with our feelings. We don't even know what we're feeling. And on your day, on a daily basis, check in with yourself. Start listening to your thoughts. If you are feeling stressed or whatever, just ask yourself, what am I really feeling? For example, if you have been through trauma, if you have been if you suffered from domestic violence, you are probably a very jumpy person or on edge, right? And start telling your brain what is really happening, you know, and use breath work, you know, long out breaths are always, always useful. And start telling your brain the distinction of what is really, really happening. For example, for me, I used to be very jumpy when somebody opened the door or knocked the door for obvious reasons i did have to you know and every time i was expecting somebody to come i would get my you know kind of anxious and i had to tell myself erica just calm down your friend is coming you are not there anymore nobody's coming to open the door to punch you in the face just relax you know and so there are so many things you can do uh, journaling, meditation. Uh, I think that meditation is an, an amazing tool for you to actually center yourself. And one of the main things, after you actually acknowledge the past, accept your past, own your story, it's mindfulness. Because the past is going to try to come back at you, you know? Every time you are in a new situation, you don't have information. So what is going to happen? You're going to try to get the information from the past. 
And I want to encourage you, don't get the information from the past, get the information from the present because you are a new person in a new situation. So for me, mindfulness is a big thing. It's like a big, big, big thing. Because once you deal with the past, you really have to train yourself to stay more in the present moment. And every time you see yourself getting back there again, just bring yourself back again to the present moment. Uh, gratitude exercises, uh, gratitude journal. Uh, and also, every time you see yourself just going down, you know, <laughs> the railroad or something, whatever you want to call it, breathe, breathe breathe try to uh touch something with your head with your hands and bring yourself to the present moment you know maybe massage your hands you know to to let yourself know that you're here now that you are safe i'm a big fan of affirmations don i think i could be here forever <laughs> <laughs> it make me stop <laughs> It's all beautiful advice and um, the way you've said some of those things is very interesting. It's nice to hear your take on all of those things. As a healing coach, you're helping women who've been through trauma to let go of the past and find peace and emotional freedom. Can you tell us who you're helping in your practice and where we can connect with you? Yes. Okay, so this is my passion. This is my thing, my jam. So since I was one of those women, and I am one of those women at the moment, this is what I do. I try to do different stuff, but then I was like, what the hell are you doing? Just help your people, help those women who have been through trauma. And they're like, okay, I got enough of this and I am ready to move on and I'm ready to embrace who I am, whoever that is. So this is what I do. I have a coaching program. Uh, and I do one-on-one one -on -one online coaching. So I really encourage people to, first of all, just following, follow me online at emotional.freedom because over there you can have, on Instagram, over there you will have, you will find several things. I have a gratitude journal that you can download for free and it includes a guided meditation. And you can also book a free consultation with me. I always like to have consultations with people, just give them, 60 minutes of my time for them to experience what is it that I'm talking about. Because one thing is like, oh, okay, I help you heal and everything. And, and you kind of understand the idea, but I really want people to really experience. And then if you don't want anything to do with me, you're just, you're just good with the 60 minutes. It's okay. It's fine. It's all about see if both of us can connect. And for me, like really helping you and giving you the experience. So follow me at emotional.freedom, add me, send me a message if you would like, book a free consultation, and let's talk about it. On, on my coaching program, what I like to do is usually I dedicate a couple of weeks to, you know, to ask that question, what happened to you, right? Uh, and we usually go through it, but we go through it to get what we need, okay? We just to, to take the lessons and to figure out what is it that you specifically need in order to move on. So we, we approach that. We see what is it that you need. It's different for everybody. You know, so many people are like, oh, uh, forgive everybody. And I do believe in forgiveness, but not everybody needs to forgive to move on. You know, I cannot make everybody forgive. So I do like to work with the person that I have in front of me. And we do this work of addressing the past and taking the, the lessons and everything that we need to take and take this part of us that it's our essence. And then we move on. Yeah. And we work on being in the present moment. We work on reducing these symptoms that we all have that comes from trauma, you know, reducing the anxiety, reducing any symptoms that you are that you are going through uh, and I also like to end by helping you craft a plan for your life and making it happen so it's a whole package yeah it's not only the healing but it's the healing and actually moving forward so yeah that's it
That sounds, that sounds just wonderful. As always, all the links will be in the show notes. So please do reach out to Erica if this resonates with you. Erica, thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing our stories and reducing childhood trauma, I believe really is the key to a better world. And you are doing so many beautiful things towards that goal. Thank you for everything that you're offering the world. You're a beautiful, strong and amazing woman with everything that you've been through. And I'm really grateful to have spoken with you today. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much also for allowing me here. And thank you for the work that you are doing because this is very important. Somebody is going to listen to this and think, okay, I'm not alone okay, I can do something. And you are doing it with different people from different backgrounds. So you are an amazing person. I hope you know that. And thank oh, you. Thank, thank you so much. Check the show notes for a direct link to all books recommended in this episode. Come and follow me on Instagram at mybigloveproject. Drop a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week.